Hello and welcome to the Science of Footy podcast. You're here with your host Liam and Bill. Bill, you were super excited for your Saturday football last week, but it didn't really go to plan, did it? Yeah, unfortunately not. Um, started off with a wet morning. I head down to Icon Park to watch the women play in the AFLW Grand Final, and uh, unfortunately for the Lions girls, they weren't able to get up. Doggies got up in a close game in the wet. Yeah, you must have been waking up Sunday wondering if it was a nightmare. Your girls lost, your boys lost, your Supercoach draft team went down. It was just a horror week for you. And um, yeah, you're right. The conditions really were were quite wet down there at um, Icon Park, which really changed the game a bit. Yeah, absolute shenanigans on that last one. The uh, the draft team going down, <laughs> but we'll discuss that one later. Um, yeah, FLW Grand Final, uh, disappointing result. But you know, the girls played really well. Obviously, making two Grand Finals in a row, no uh, no small achievement. And you know, well done to them, and obviously, well done to the doggies for their uh, for their victory. It was a very low scoring game thanks to the conditions, but a good standard of footy. And it was the dogs' third quarter that really put them over the top. Yeah, really contested brand of footy and uh, it was really close and exciting pretty much the whole way through the match and you're right, it is sort of that third quarter where the dogs got on top and that's where the game was won and during that third quarter it was really led by Conti who had eight touches and a goal in the term to push her into that uh, Noel Smith medal. Yeah, as you said, the third quarter there for the doggies, they kicked three goals one and uh, Conti was one of the driving factors behind that, although I must say I was sitting there watching the game from the stands and I think uh, Lutkins was absolutely robbed of that best on ground medal. She's absolutely dominant down back there and I think by far the best player on ground. Yeah, I was I was texting you at the time saying Lutkins was just grabbing everything inside, everything that went into the defence. She was intercept marking and she was rebounding out, which was brilliant. Um, she was definitely one of the best players on the day. I think Blackburn's probably the other one from the dogs. You know, the Norm Smith normally going to the winning team. She was another one that, that really stood out um, and was really important on the day. But the medal went to went to Conti and um, some interesting facts came out about her during during the week after she won the medal, including the fact that, well, first of all, 18 years old, winning the Noel Smith medal is pretty impressive, but she stands at 165 centimetres and um, actually leads the Bulldogs for contested marks, which is a really crazy stat when you think about it and think about some of their some of their um, hard and tough players. Yeah, very impressive and very impressive game by her. Um, a few other Lions who played well, Nat Exxon was all over the park, just laying tackles and racking up the touches, and Jess Wushner, um we mention her pretty much every week, I think, and obviously just a really skilled football player. She kicked two goals in the last quarter to give the Lions some hope, but unfortunately not enough to get them over the line. Yeah, Wushner really stepped up as a leader there for the Lions. She really was one of the only players where the game was slipping away. She was the one to stand up and sort of try and get the game back for the for the Lions, and she was really impressive. And yeah, you mentioned Exxon, and she was running with some of the best dogs players through the middle all day with Kearney for a lot of it, bits on Blackburn as well, and she managed to get the touches alongside playing that defensive role. Unfortunately for my predictions, uh, it wasn't really the conditions for Frederick Traub to dominate the game like I had expected her to. Um, she tried hard all day, you know, took, did take a few marks, get a few possessions around the ground, and, uh, you know, threw the body around well, but just not the sort of conditions that were conducive to a key forward dominating the game. Yeah, definitely. She tried hard, but it, it really wasn't suited for her. Do you think the wet weather hurt Brisbane, or uh, was it just a, sort of a game where it could have gone either way and it just fell in the dog's favour? Uh, definitely the sort of game that could have gone either way. Um, when I was watching the game in the first half, I thought the wet weather was hurting us because we seemed to be spreading better and, and sort of having those fumbles that are caused by the wet weather footy. But when it did dry up in the second half, the dogs definitely took better advantage of the dry conditions. It was a, a great win for the dogs who um, who came from not making the grand final or really finishing that well last year. And she, and they won this uh, won this premiership without stars like Katie Brennan and um, Isabel Huntington played some really good footy throughout the year and they were missing those players and really were able to stand up and um, and still put a winning score on the board. Yeah, good even contribution by the Dogs girls, as you said, missing some stars and they've got a great list and yeah, be very tough to beat next year. It'll be interesting to see if they go into favourites next year. Everyone saw Melbourne really get up in um, sort of everyone's expectations this year. Brisbane obviously making back-to-back uh, grand finals, and I think their list is still pretty young, so you'd expect them to be back up there. GWS rose this year, and um, it'll be interesting to see what happens at the start of next year and who's sort of who's who's tipped to go all the way. Is it next year that there's going to be teams coming in? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so the addition of some new teams in the league will obviously... Uh, change things up there. I believe there'll be quite a significant amount of player movement as a result, and it'll be interesting to see where some of the girls are lining up next season. Yeah, we're already seeing some movement. Is it next year that Hawthorne's coming in? Because I've already seen on their page that um, I think Sarah Perkins, the big text from um, Adelaide, is moving over to play for Hawthorne now. So it's an interesting get for a player who sort of had a down year, but we've seen her highs before, and she could be a marquee player over there, and um, it'll be interesting to see who else moves around. 
Another big name that's also been mentioned for a movie is Brie Davy, Once Out of the Blues. Yeah, I've heard that. The Blues are sort of falling apart. She was a really impressive player for them in the first few games, was actually my tip for the Brownlow medal when we predicted at the start of the year, and she started on fire before she got injured, and um, we really saw that um, the Carlton's gameplay, especially out of the middle, dropped when she wasn't in the team, and they really struggled to get forward and um, put good entries into the 50. We've got a list here of some of the players who won some of the important awards that are given out at the end of the season. Um, so we'll just go through and congratulate them. Courtney Gum took out the AFLW Players MVP, which is very impressive in her debut season. Although, strangely, she didn't take out Best First Year Player. Um, that was given to Chloe Malloy, just ahead of Gum and Sophie Conway from the Lions. Um, Chelsea Randall took out the Most Courageous Award for the second year running, and Daisy Pierce picked up the Best Captain Award. Yeah, some really impressive performances there. Um, the one that probably takes my eye the most is Chloe Malloy's season, especially at the start. She was really impressive for mine. Um, we also saw Kearney and Randall tie for the AFLW Coaches Association MVP awards, so they were really battling it out all the way to the finish and um, couldn't be separated in the end. Yeah, hot on the heels of those two were Ali Blackburn and Katie Luckins, and both of them will be in contention for the league best and fairest tonight, which I believe is going on as we record this. Yeah, they'll definitely be in the mix. I think if I had to pick one, I think Kearney um, had a really impressive season and one where the dogs obviously won enough games to get into that grand final. So she'll definitely pull in a lot of votes, I think. Do you have a pick out of the bunch? Yeah, as you mentioned, it should be very tight at the top there. And there's a few who would be very deserving winners. I'm personally pulling for Katie Luckin's victory. I think after you know that disappointing grand final loss and sort of maybe you could say being robbed of the best on ground, I would very much like to see her take out that MVP award. Yeah, super impressive on grand final day, and I think she'd be a worthy winner. She was really impressive. Um, So what did you think of just the general state of the league this year? There's been a lot of talk about it in the media, and um, the low scoring was really a factor earlier in the year with the AFL stepping in and sort of trying to put um, zone positions on players at different times in the match. Did Did you think the standard was better than last year? Do you think it'll go forward next year with the extra teams? Yeah, I do think the standard was a bit better. Um, The low scores, obviously, you know, they're they're part of the fact that the girls are able to defend quite well, and obviously the short game time um, is going to impact the scores there. Overall, I think we did see an improvement in the skill level of play, just general consistency of skills and ability to hit those targets as they move around the ground, and I expect that's going to continue to uh, improve in the coming years. I think another thing we saw this year is young kids coming through who could potentially next year be in the top five or ten in the competition. We're talking about Isabel Huntington, if she can get back from that injury. Chloe Malloy, we mentioned before, being really solid and even just new recruits that aren't necessarily young rookies like we talked about, the Gums and the and those sort of players coming into the league and performing at such a level that they won league-based awards. Um, we're going to see a lot, new, a lot of new players come in that will shoot directly to the top of um, performances over the league. Yeah, absolutely. Overall, a really great season in the women's comp, I think, and I'm very much looking forward to watching it again next year, and hopefully the Lions girls can go one better. We'll move on to the men's competition now, where we had the the first round um, last weekend, so very exciting starting off on the on the Thursday night, and we had some really good games throughout the week. Yeah, some really great games across the weekend, and a very close round for tipping. Uh, speaking of, we've Thanks to the grand final win for the Doggies there, we ended up tied in the women's tipping comp, so we're going to have to differentiate ourselves in the men's comp this season. Yeah, I managed to sort of scramble back from the death in those last last few games of the year to bring it back to a tie. And yeah, we'll have to separate ourselves in the uh, men's tipping and didn't really start off uh, too different. We both tipped seven out of nine last week. You got the Lions and the Ds wrong and um, I dropped the, the Pies and the Crows. Yeah, I won't be tipping the Lions every week, I think, just when they're against St. Kilda and then <laughs> some games that I think they're you know definitely a chance to win. So um, sort of shot myself in the foot there, chance to go for 8 out of 9 to be equal with our tipping model, which managed to get 8 out of 9 correct. Yeah, that's the big uh, big talking point for us for the week, is that um, our model that we made to, to predict the winners of AFL games using uh, statistical modelling um, turned out to be better than we are at tipping, tipping 8 out of 9, um, only missing that Crows game where they dropped a 20-point lead in um, the last quarter to lose, so it almost went perfect, and... Um, I think that from the bookies' favourites, only 7 out of 9 of those won. So 8 out of 9 is a really great result first up for the algorithm. And uh, hopefully we'll get to it later in the show who it tipped for this week. But we hope it does equally well coming up into round 2. So I sat down to watch the first game of the season and um, turned the TV on a bit late. And was very surprised to see Carlton already a couple of goals up. And they've ended up kicking the first five goals of the game. 
Yeah, I was uh, down in Phillip Island actually turning it on the TV and I saw them kick the first one and I was like, oh yeah, whatever, and second, third, it just kept coming and when they were five up, I was, I had to turn turn my head pretty seriously and wondering whether the Tigers, we all said they weren't going to have a premiership hangover, but the Blues came out of the blocks and I was wondering whether whether the Tigers were just falling asleep at the start of the game, whether they didn't care too much, but they, they fought back and it ended up being sort of a, an exciting match in the end. Yeah, very exciting game and... Uh... You're lucky there, Liam. The Blues went pretty close to ruining one of your season predictions there with the 100-point barrier. I know. We've both already had a couple of uh, our preseason predictions look good and some look bad or be over already. Your Lions one, obviously, is the first one to go down. But I almost went down on one, too, with the 100-point prediction when they put, what, 40-something points on in the first quarter. I was like, oh, God, I've lost the 100-point one already. But uh, no, they they slowed down and... um, yeah, I'm not so sure um, how that tip will go for the rest of the year, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, they've ended up with 95 points on the board against the reigning Premiers, so I do think they're going to break that 100 barrier this season with a bit more of an attacking flair to their game. And one of the reasons I think they're going to do that is big Charlie Kerr now. Um, one of my predictions there looking pretty good. He's come out and kicked five, so well on his way to the 45-goal prediction, actually on pace for 110. <laughs> yeah, you would have been over the moon with uh, with that result there, and um and he's only got 40 to go for you to make that prediction. Um, he, he looked super impressive, and it was sort of what everyone thought in the preseason that he'd start um, coming in and tearing defences apart, being unstoppable, and um, he looked really, really good. Another player who looked really good was Patrick Cripps. Uh, pulled himself the perfect 10 coaches' votes, one of four players to do that this week, alongside Buddy Franklin, Tom Mitchell, and Jack Stephen. Yeah, he got the three votes on the ground for mine. Um, another thing we'll probably do during the year is we'll try and keep a tally of our three two ones and give you some brown load leaderboard updates throughout the year. But he definitely got my three votes on the day with um, Dusty also looking good. But um, Cripps was definitely one of the best players out there. Kernow on top of the world, kicking five goals. It was really, really good signs for the Blues, and I think Blues fans will be very happy. Although we also saw five goals out of uh, Matty Wright, so I don't think we'll be seeing that every week. That might be something in my favor for keeping below the 100 mark. Next game was another exciting one. The Dons took on the Crows, and it was a great win for the Dons to kick off the season. I can't really say I'm cheering for them because, you know, like drug cheats and all that, but uh, they do play an exciting style, and they're definitely going to push quite a few teams this season. I mean, I, I didn't think there were a chance. You, you got this tip. It was a very good one, but um, I don't know. I just rate the Crows really highly, and I think this every year at the start of the year, there's always a team which I don't really rate, and it takes three or four wins in a row before I, I get on them and I get a few tips wrong. And it's probably, it could be the Dons this year. I don't know if they're for real. They really looked great. Um, they didn't even have Zach Merritt for a lot of that game, and they managed to come back from, as we mentioned before, 20 points down in the last to, to pull a win over the Adelaide Crows, who are, who are no pushovers there, and um, it was super impressive. Yeah, they ran over the top of them in the end, and... Uh... One of the things that I was considering when I made that tip was the Crows obviously playing in the grand final, having a bit of a delayed start to the preseason, and that could be a factor in, as to why they sort of ran out of legs there compared to a fresher Essendon team. Um, but one of the reasons they, I think that they won on the day was Adam Saad playing an excellent game on Eddie Betts. Um, halfway through the second quarter, I sort of noted to someone that I hadn't really seen Saad you know, go on one of his runs or anything, so I was wondering if he was having a poor game, but... Um, when I looked closely, I actually noticed that he was playing on Eddie Betts and did a really good job. I think Betts sort of struggled to play on someone with the, with the pace that Saad possesses. Yeah, a really interesting defender Saad with the way that he's shown now that he can play that defensive side and everyone knows he's got the offensive side of his game. And I'll be really watching him closely throughout the year to see whether we're going to have games where we see this defensive side. Next next week, maybe he'll be a really offensive player and using his dash out of defense. And whether he will sort of flip between different roles and be able to play really important um, minutes for, for that team in different um, areas of the ground and different positions and on different players. I think one of the other reasons that the Crows may have struggled in this game is missing Tom Lynch. Uh, they really seem to struggle with his just his removal from the possession chains. He covers a lot of ground to link up in a lot of those possession chains, and yeah, they really seem to be missing his running carry. Yeah, the link up man. I've called him now. He's got a nickname, and I reckon that one will stick. Um, didn't have him. Didn't have Tex up forward. Um, to have that big presence to kick to. Um, also didn't have Brad Crouch, who was a really important player for them last year. So there are some players to come back into this Adelaide team. I wouldn't be riding them off just yet. But still, Adelaide's cream of the crop. Um, it rose to the top in that game. We're talking about the Lairds and the Matt Crouch. who both had over 40 touches, and it really looked like Laird had the ball on the string for a while there. Don Sporters will obviously be very happy with the win and pretty happy with the performance of their new recruits. We mentioned Saad there. Devin Smith played a good game in the middle, and... The package Jake Stringer played reasonably well up forward and a bit through the middle, but 
I think one thing they won't be too happy about is Joe Danaher's kicking for goal doesn't seem to have improved at all. Um, some of his kicks were just absolutely atrocious. He kicked a good one from 50 metres, but apart from that, just spraying them everywhere. Yeah, a lot of people um, people tipped Kurnow, as we said before, to be the breakout this year. I've heard people say Danaher will win the Coleman and be the best key forward going around this year. He'll make all Australians. He'll be scoring super coach tons every week. I've, I've heard it all, and... Um, I think people need to sort of just dial it back a little bit. He's a great player, but I don't think he'll be able to start every week. Um, I think it's more important for Essendon to have some of their other players lift, and one of those is, is Dyson Heppel, who had an incredible match, far and out his best match I've seen him play probably for a year, year and a half. Um, he was really great. And I think other players' ability to lift in that Essendon team might be a bit more important than Danaher, who's already playing at a pretty high level. Um, but you're right, he, missing those easy goals and goals that he should kick um, is something that Essendon will probably look at changing on the training track. We'll keep it moving and roll into the Saints versus Lions game. And this is one that we were both lucky enough to attend. And I'll be honest, uh, watching this game, I just saw a pretty awful standard of play. Um, lots of fumbles and lots of turnovers, and I don't think that's a win that'll be filling the Saints fans with a lot of confidence. I think the real loser in that game was football and football fans. That, that was one of the worst games of football I've seen in a very long time. The skills at both ends were terrible. The ability to both turn the ball over and not punish the team for a turnover is one of the worst I've seen in a very long time. One thing Saints fans should be happy about was the form of Blake Akers. Picked up 30 touches, 9 marks, 4 tackles and a goal on his way to 144 supercoach points. Yeah, one of the players that I've been really hot on since he got drafted to the Saints. I really thought that when he's at full flight, he'll be one of the most difficult players to stop in the competition if he could ever get to his ceiling. And he was around that mark um, on the weekend. He not only got all the touches, he kicked a, a really clutch goal from the angle from a set shot, which is great. And he had a huge smother that led to a goal as well. So he was doing it all over the ground. And it's something that we really need to see more consistently from Blake if the Saints are going to move up the ladder. We spoke about Charlie Kernow coming out and kicking five. Um, well on his way to 45 goals now, but you've predicted Paddy McCartan for 40 goals and he's only managed to pick up seven touches and one goal. Yeah, I guess... One goal's better than no goals, that's all I can say. Um, he really didn't um, feature too heavily, he really wasn't looking that great. We saw, um, I think it was three goals from Bruce and at least four scoring shots from Membry, who were really the main targets on the day. And Paddy really couldn't get into it as much as um, fans would like. Um, I'm hoping he stays in the team and I hope that they back him in for an extended period and um, hopefully in a game against North Melbourne, which I'm um, backing us pretty heavily, he might get a bit more look into getting a bit of form on the board. But um, yeah, so far you're right on this one. Um, he's sort of under the mark for 40 at this stage. But one goal, ticking it along. Maybe get it next week, slot a couple more, two or three, and he'll be back on track. Despite the loss, there's a few things Lions fans could be happy about. Uh, Jared Berry had a very good game, 19 touches and three goals. And Charlie Cameron had a good debut for the club, picked up 17 touches and three goals. Yeah, it was almost Charlie Cameron versus the Saints at the start there. He really shot off the blocks on fire, way better than any JLT form I've seen. And he showed exactly why um, Brisbane recruited him and how exciting it'll be for the club. Um, on injury sides of things, we saw Daniel Rich go down pretty early with an ankle injury, which might sideline him for a few weeks. So probably another factor in uh, Brisbane running out of legs in that game. Yeah, so news has come out. Rich has torn his ligament. He's going to be out indefinitely. So managed for a couple of weeks at least, I think we won't be seeing him. Uh, one of the things Fagan talked about in the preseason was contested ball being a focus for the Lions. And that was definitely much improved. They won the contested possessions by six and were up by about 20 until, as you mentioned, running out of legs sort of early in the last quarter. Yeah, those contested possession numbers are really an interesting stat considering in one of our previous podcasts, I think we said you might have been bottom two on average in the comp last year. So turning that around is pretty massive, um, especially considering Zorko having one of his down games. But also clearances, I think you smashed those ones 44 to 27, I think, were the final numbers. So that's just not good enough from the Saints, um, led by a pretty poor game by Billy Longer with Steph Martin really being one of the best players on the ground. So that sort of um, is really, really impressive for Brisbane and they'll build on that going forward. As you mentioned, Dean Zorko uh, didn't really have his usual running carry, very well tagged out of the game by Kobe Stevens. Um, and opposing from him, Jack Steven, who also known for his running carry, was really able to impose himself on that last quarter. Yeah, 34 touches and two goals for Jack. Two, all, I think it was back-to-back -back or close to in a period of the game, which was 
was sort of seesawing and there to be one and he was really the player on the ground who stood up and said I'm going to win this game if I can and um, I'll be looking at him to go back towards all Australian squad all all Australian team maybe form uh, this year Um, it's been well documented that last year he had a lot of um, issues with his hamstring tendonitis there where he couldn't really burst out of the pack at speed like he likes to and seems to be back to his best now and um, he was really impressive on the weekend. Next game is one that we didn't really get a chance to watch because we were at the Lions-Saints game, but Port played free over in South Australia and some of their new recruits fired early, particularly Jack Watts, finishing with 20 touches, 7 marks, 4 tackles and 3 goals, 3 behinds. Yeah, not really surprised there. I really thought that he would be a really good fit for Port Adelaide and be firing early. Um, You're right, he put those 3 goals on alongside a really impressive young gun, uh, Todd Marshall, who kicked 4. There's a few young guns firing for Port Adelaide on the day. Riley Bonner managed to pick up 31 touches and 119 supercoach points. So if he can repeat that next week, I'm expecting him to be traded into almost every single supercoach team if he's not in them already. Yeah, and an added bonus for him, he got the Rising Star nomination for the round. So it was a super impressive game by him and it was recognised all across the league. Um, another great younger younger player for them is uh, Dougal Howard in the back line. Unbelievable. 22 spoils. I think that's an AFL record. And I, I looked at the stats and saw that he turned up in Supercoach as well, a 107, and did it off, what, like nine or ten touches and not a lot else. He just did it all by spoils. So that's something we won't see very often. Yeah, I believe he did break the record there. Um, mostly good news for Port. Unfortunately, some bad news. Paddy Wright is now going to be out for six weeks. Um, done an ankle injury. Yeah, uh, ankle, Achilles, around that area, I don't really know what the issue is and whether that's being confirmed, but yeah, six weeks or so out for Ryder, and it's sort of an interesting thing that happened considering the story that came out during the week. Have you heard about his home invasion? I did not. Apparently what happened was that he was asleep in his house or in his house, and um, three robbers came in, broke into his house, Paddy Ryder and his brother jump up, chase them out of the house, get in their car, chase these guys in a high-speed car chase... They crash their car and go on foot, and Paddy Ryder chases one of these guys, tackles him, drags him into his car, and drives him back to his house and waits for the cops. (laughs) It sounds like something from a movie. This actually happened. Wow. And uh, uh, it's just everyone's wondering, how hard did he chase this guy? Did he hurt his ankle slash Achilles? Did it cost Port Adelaide six weeks with no Ruckman? Because they don't have a backup. They traded lob away they really don't have anyone else there it'll be west off rucking number one i guess and yeah just an unbelievable series of events yeah crazy um i'd be hoping for Ryder's sake that yeah the ankle injury didn't come from that but uh yeah well paul will be looking <laughs> to that one i think yeah definitely and just the other thing i have noted down from this game is that i talked a lot last week i think it was one of my you know things i was looking forward to this week it was the 5v rocky show two of the best in the comp Five turned out about a 75 super coach, and Rocky didn't get near it with a 55, and they were both pretty average on the day. Um, I really just put the moles on them, I reckon. Yeah, disappointing games from both of them. It'll be interesting to see uh, with Robbie Gray coming back in the team next week if, if Rockcliffe has sort of moved into a more inside midfield role, and uh, that's generally where he's going to score his points. So, but, but as you mentioned, a bit of a disappointing game for him and a disappointing start to Nat Fife, who was looking prime for a big year. Yeah, and super coaches just watch out on the Don Barry. A lot of people have him on the bench with Robbie Gray coming back in. I'm, I'm hoping he keeps his spot because he's in my side. We'll move on to the next game, which was less of a football game and more of a 100-meter swimming match, which was the Suns versus North Melbourne. Yeah, this one was played at an absolute bath up north. Um, terrible fixturing, I think, by the AFL to schedule a game up in Cairns. Yeah, Gold Coast can't play at their stadium because of the Commonwealth Games for the first, what, like six or ten rounds. So they're trying to find any any stadium around the league which, which can hold them. And they've gone to Cairns for this one. And it was actually crazy scenes looking at all the photos and videos of how wet the ground was. And um, I really don't know how much we can draw out of this match for how good either team is because, yeah, we saw, what, a 40 to 50-odd scoreline and just a lot of tackles and not many marks. I think North Melbourne had 20 marks for the day. You're never going to see that again. Um yeah, I don't know what to make of this game at all. Very good game for the Ruckman. Uh, Jared Witts took full advantage, had 25 touches, 20 of one of which were kicks, took four marks, 34 hitouts, and five tackles. And now that Paddy Ryder's gone down, I was pumping him up as my super coach choice uh, last week. I think I'm maybe going to be considering the Ryder to Witts trade. Yeah, very interesting one. During the JLT, we saw that um, Nichols uh, came back into the team to Ruck. Uh, they played both of them at the same time, and we've seen Nichols be that number one Ruck at Gold Coast. Uh, before for a while so they obviously like him down there and I didn't know whether Wits would even be number one ruck choice but he put all those thoughts to bed on the weekend he was 
potentially the best player on the ground on the day and um, really, really stepped up against what is a quality Ruckman in Goldstein. Good game for the Ruckman, but not so much for the key position forwards. Tom Lynch and Ben Brown kicking zero goals and one behind between them. Won't see that too often. Yeah, definitely something we won't see often and not really surprising considering how much Ram was there. Definitely not their day. Um, I was versing Ben Brown in a Supercoach draft team and he's drafted himself into his team and scored himself a 20. Um, he still got the win over me though, but uh, that almost dragged me over the line. Um, uh, just one interesting thing from that match is I'm just watching Gold Coast so closely to see who's going to stand up without Ablett and be the king in the middle for them. Who's going to be the one that they're going to going to go to to get all those clearances and all those touches out of the center um we sort of saw a few players like i think took miller was really one of the most interesting ones to stand up on the day and um sort of do a lot of that clearance work yeah he's worked his way into my supercoach draft team after unfortunately tom libertorio has gone down and uh another one was david swallow wrapped up about 30 odd touches most of which were contested yeah, they'll definitely be hoping that Swallow can pull together an injury-free year. Um, that'll go a long way to filling that hole. Um, another player we saw was Aaron Young play a really great game for his first uh, first outfit in the Gold Coast colours. On the debutante side of things, for Gold Coast, Nick Coleman came in and immediately uh, made his mark on the competition. 13 tackles on debut for 96 Supercoach points. Yeah, if he's not in your Supercoach team, just get him in. It's that simple. 102,000. Should be on every midfield bench and or field. Um, tackling machine. He'll score. Uh, 70 average for the year, I'd say. Speaking of players who are probably looking to be in every single Supercoach team out there, Tom Mitchell in the uh, Hawks-Pies games come up and broke the disposers record, 54. Well, if this uh, doesn't go towards your Bucks curse uh, favorably, I don't know what does. Bucks has something where he thinks that Tom Mitchell's touches don't affect their team, that he's no good. Let's him have a record amount. He's gotten the three Brownlow votes, I think, the last time and potentially the time before that against the club. He definitely got them again on the weekend as the most influential player in this team's loss. So I don't know what Bucks is doing. Is he too proud? Is he stupid? Maybe a bit of both. So the record that he broke, 53, was his own record against the Pies, and that was tied with Gary Ablett also against the Pies. Um, seems that Bucks has sort of come around. He, he gave Tom Mitchell the full five coaches' votes, so he obviously knows that he's played well. Well, it would have been just impossible not to. He was amazing on the day. He was just just super impressive in the win, and um, I, I might have to recalculate where I where I find Hawthorne this year. They had Cyril Rioli come back into this team, and the amount of just like little touches, little intercepts, and and taps around and important plays that he did, you, you forget so easily how important he is to Hawthorne winning games. He was back to his best. We saw Amira play out a full game to a pretty good level. Um, to play alongside Mitchell in what is an otherwise pretty weak middle. So with those two players going like one-two punch out of the middle, they're, they're looking good this year. I'll add to that list, uh, Sean Burgoyne still playing great footy. He's 35 now, turns 36 this year, but you know he looks like he's mid-20s. Just, he's still got it, um, silky skills, and yeah, just definitely still up to the level. And it really just poses the question, are Hawthorne back? Yeah, silk. And he'll be silk for as long as he plays. He doesn't look like he'll be one of those players to slow down. He'll probably probably be good until the day he calls it quits. T- kicked a couple of early goals and um, just was super impressive. Another player I'll throw in there is everyone was pumping up Sicily before the year and um, he, he was really good on the weekend as well. He looks like he's sort of locked in that um, defensive intercept player role and um, he looks really at home down back. Yeah, just reads the flight really well of the ball and managed to pick up 26 disposals and 7 marks, put up big super coach numbers and as you said, just a lot of people talking about him pre-season he's really uh, repaid the faith with those people. Um, Collingwood have obviously a, a tough game next week against a dominant looking GWS side but there are a few positives for them. Uh, ben Crocker presented well up forward, kicked two goals, three behinds and Sam Murray looked a really good pickup after that sort of weird trade we spoke about with Sydney. Yeah, Crockett was really lively. I, I can't say I've noticed much of him before. Um, he's got a few bad tattoos as well, just like randomly placed around his body. Looks a bit bit of a weird unit, but he, he can play football. He showed that on the weekend. Um, Murray, he was really impressive. His dash and his ability to take the game on. He's a, he's a player with no fear, and I expect him to be a really good player for Collingwood this year. The exact type of player they need coming out of the back line. Um, what what more can we say? It was a stroke of genius getting him out of um, out of Sydney. And um, on the same note, Sydney letting him go, um, I'm sure they could use a dashing player like that coming off the defensive line. So maybe one that they let get away. Just touching back on uh, Buckley talking about Tom Mitchell and you know sort of indicating perhaps in the past that maybe he wasn't really having an effectiveness on the game. 
Maybe he should look in his own backyard, I'm thinking, because I watched Adam Trelaw pick up 33 touches and go at 42%. Um, you know, when you're going at less than 50%, when you're turning the ball over more than half the time, that's really just not up to it. I actually heard people say, I want to put Sicily in my Supercoach team because Adam Trelaw will bomb it into the forward 50 <laughs> at will to Sicily. He, he'll be floating around and Trelaw will not look and just kick it in the air in Sicily. And it's exactly what happened. It, it's amazing that people can say that about... Uh, you know, Trelaw's a great midfielder. He can find the footy, but you, you, you're right. On the weekend, he just didn't use it well at all. We'll keep it moving. And the next game is GWS versus the Doggies. A 82-point trouncing and just a horrid day for the Dogs and only the big loss. But as I mentioned before, unfortunately, Tom Libertori doing a second ACL this time on his good knee. Yeah, just terrible news for Libra and the Dogs. He was probably their most exciting player through the JLT series. He was back to attending the most centre bounces for the club, which is only a thing that he did in his really impressive premiership year. So he was back to looking like his best, and for him to do his ACL, is it the same knee that he did on last time? Different knee, unfortunately, so he's now done an ACL on both knees. Yeah, it's just a terrible, terrible thing to happen. I think they've also come out during the week and said that uh, Smith, who who wasn't chosen in, in the side, um, has done an uh, injury as well and will miss over a month. We've already got Adams and Morris. They're playing Eastern Wood as a forward, even though their backline's decimated. I, I just don't. I just can't buy into the Dogs at all at the moment. Yeah, very disappointing starts the season by the Dogs. Um, one of the things that was, I think, probably most disappointing from Bevo's point of view is they trailed the disposals by ninety and still lost the tackle count by five, which is just not up to it. Yeah, it really isn't. It shows a lack of. Well, first of all, a lack of people in the midfield who can play that role, like Libba can, doing that tackling, hard contested footy, um, but also just the desire isn't there. Another thing that we see coming out of the Dogs um, coaching tables is they don't trust Tom Boyd or Josh Shackey to be in the best 22 at the moment. Yeah, if you'd have said to a Dogs supporter a couple of years ago they'd have a number one draft pick key position forward and a number two draft pick key position forward on their list, they'd be very surprised. And then if you told them they'd be going into round one and hadn't selected either of them in the best 22, you know, they'd tell you that you're crazy. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable, especially because they went with, you know, Tim English, who's a young ruckman, to sort of go in that team as as alongside your rough heads doing the ruck work when in the, in the past they've chosen forwards like Tom Boyd and they've been training Shaki down there. Um, so pretty much Tim English is getting the nod over some of these boys. Um, really just shows that either they're not up to it or the coaching staff um, are going down a path that's a bit unusual down there. But it, this is not to take away anything from GWS. They looked really on top of everything on the day. They had Their best players were outstanding and um, they just looked really good. Yeah, as bleak things are looking for the doggies at the moment, um, they're equally as bright for the Giants. Their stars looked absolutely primed for a huge season. Um, Coniglio, 32 touches, 2 goals. Green, 25 and 4. Kelly 29 and 2. Cameron, 18 and 6. You know, the list goes on. There's just obviously stars on every line. Um, stars still on the sidelines like Tom Scully um, waiting to come back in. And yeah, just really scary for the competition how good these boys are looking. Yeah, talk about a game that's hard to pick a 3-2-1 in the Brownlow just because GWS had so many players who performed. I know, you know, Coniglio was just incredible. Cameron kicking 6. Green was all over the ground. It's just there's too many players there to pick from. Their 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 elite players are just out and above what we saw from any other club this weekend, and it's just making me wonder whether this you know what was it 80 point loss in the end is something that's on the dogs or is it something that's coming out of GWS and we'll see that from them week in week out for a while. Dogs will have a chance to prove themselves next week against the Eagles. Very important game. Obviously, both sides coming off a round one loss, and loser could probably find themselves on the slide for the rest of the year. I think. Yeah, really intriguing matchup down here in Melbourne, if I'm not mistaken, which is sort of tipping it a little bit in the dogs' favour, but that just makes it all the more scary if I was a dog supporter because if you lose to West Coast in Melbourne coming off that big loss, um, knowing that you've got all these injuries, these players that won't come back into your team anytime soon, yeah, I'd be really... It's panic stations for the dogs if they go down. Talking a little bit about teams that look quite scary and next game, Cats versus the Ds. Um, Cats are one of them, I think. Obviously, Dangerfield on the sidelines, and then they've had Ablett come in, just pick up a lazy 39 touches. Um, didn't actually play too well, to be honest. Had a quite a few turnovers, but didn't look fully fit. Looked to be easing into things and still racked up almost 40 disposals, so good signs for Gaz. Yeah, Gaz could get the ball the same. He just made a few mistakes with it, and that'll that'll come. He's had a lot of time out from injuries, and he'll get back on top of that. But yeah, he had 39. I think Selwood had 39 as well. And you've got the best player in the competition still to come back into that midfield. Just the thing for the Cats, for me, is that they've got the best player in the competition out. 
let's just slide Tim Kelly in here, and he, he was just incredible. He was leading the game for contested possessions for a lot of that game and just really, really looked at home at the level. He was just such a find. Yeah, picked up 27 touches, 118 super coast points, and as you said, just looked like a contested beast. Um, another player who looked quite good this time from the Demons, Petrarca, has picked up 24 touches, um, a bit wayward in front of goal, one goal, three behinds, but really looks prime for a big season. You could see his talent on show. And the biggest thing for people who picked him as super coach is he was actually lining up in the midfield more often than not. So he's he's getting that increased midfield time. And yeah, he looked really good, really important around the ball. And if he could have slotted some of those goals, the result would have gone a different way. Obviously, one of the main talking points for the game, um, Max Gorn missing a set shot from about 30 metres out directly in front to could have been the sealer. Um, unfortunate for Maxi there. I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. You're 15 metres out. It, everyone was reacting as if the game was done and um, shanked the kick. There's been funny footage um, released during the week. Have you seen the one of the guy watching it in the pub? The the Melbourne supporter is he goes out onto the street uh, as the final kick's being done and he just his he- hands are on his head and he can't watch and then then he misses it. He just throws his scarf on the ground and, and just walks home. He doesn't even go back inside. It was it was quite funny. Yeah, I did catch that one. Poor form from whoever that was. Um... I think the Demons, you know, they, they looked good and they pushed one of the, the great sides of the competition and still have a few players on the sidelines, Viney, Tyson, Brayshaw, McDonald. So I think they still look set for a big year despite the loss. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to disagree. I think that everyone, if anyone watches the uh, Two Guys, One Cup podcast with uh, Charlie Clawson and Will Anderson, they, they coined a, a term Richmondy that Richmond's had over the last few years where they just find a way for funny things to happen. They would almost look like winning and almost look like being good, but then, oh no, they would fall over their own feet. They'd finish ninth somehow. They'd make it all the way to finals and they wouldn't be able to win again and again. And it just sort of turned into a bit of a, a comedy of errors for them. And I reckon Melbourne is the new Richmond. I think that they're turning into the new Richmond with how they how they finished ninth last year. They, they had the finals sewn up. And then they lose to a team like Collingwood who had nothing to play for. And then you have West Coast losing to the Adelaide Crows who were on top of the ladder. Uh, sorry, West Coast beating the Adelaide Crows who were on top of the ladder. And that pushed them out of finals, which is quite a funny way to come ninth. And then Melbourne sends out pamphlets to their fans about how they're in finals even though they didn't make it. And now they come out and they've got the game won and they've got the shot for goal and somehow they manage to miss it. And then they lose again. They're, just, they're sort of becoming the new Richmond. We might be calling it Melbourne soon. Yeah, big call. Um, I, I mean, Richmond are the reigning premiers at the moment, so they might not mind being the, the new Richmond if, if it ends up the same way. But yeah, I mean, obviously difference of opinion. I think the Demons look good. I think um, talent's still to come back in. And as I said, pushed one of the top teams in the competition. The Cats, obviously with danger coming back, I think they're going to be very hard to dislodge from the top four. So I don't think there's any shame going down to them for a, uh, by a goal. And I think one thing that's in the Demons' favour is despite missing that goal, Max Gorn looked great on the day. He looked back to his best. He will be the best ruckman in the competition this year. I expect him, barring injury, to be All-Australian and highest supercoach averager and all of those sort of uh, factors. Do you agree with that one? Yeah, I do. Uh, Max, he looked really fit. Um, I'm a huge Max fan, have been for a few years, um, if only because of the beard. But yeah, he can play football and he can definitely ruck. And uh, yeah, I agree. I think he'll be the premier ruck in the competition if he can stay fit. On the Geelong side of things, they seem to be ageless. They seem to... I mentioned it in our, in our draft podcast that I thought that their draft um, crop was one of the best that uh, came out of of all the teams, and we saw that on display because they're missing all of this talent and all these players out of their team, and they had Kelly come in, one of the best players on the ground. You had Lockie Fogarty come in, and he laid a whole lot of tackles and didn't look out of his depth. You got players like um, Jake Colin-Nazny, Kalajazny. He was impressive on the weekend for mine. He was um, just really good out of a defense that has lost players like Enright and Mackie over the last few years. He looked like he'll be a mainstay in defense for for a long time. And just just their recruiting really shines through and is why that they've stayed at the top for so many years. Yeah, and another one you can add to that list, uh, Sava Radagalia came in, played a really good game as well, um, kicked a few goals and competed well. So as you mentioned, a, a bumper draft crop for the Cats and yeah, they just look like being in the top four again. So perhaps the equalization is not really working for the AFL. Yeah, Radical E is a really interesting one. I think the commentator said some some crazy stat, like he's only played 40 games of AFL in his life before he got drafted. He 
who was coming to the game really late, I think Fijian Origins, if I'm not mistaken. But he's one of the biggest beasts I've seen play footy in a long time. Just talk about a specimen and how strong he looks. He he was amazing, and he had the ball on a string leading from the forward line in in that first quarter. And I, I just I was just like, who is this guy? Who who is he? Is he a new recruit? I think he's been on the list one year, maybe. Um, before he's come in and gotten this game and um, he could be someone that could line up they've always been looking for a one-two punch with Hawkins someone to take a few crash the packs take a little bit of the heat off him and um, I could see Radigalia playing some more games yeah he played really well Um, if we're talking about big units coming out of the forward line with the ball on a string I think it's time to segue into the last game which was the body show at the New Optus Stadium Um, he set the goal kicking record at 8 for Josh Kennedy to hunt and it could take him a while to catch to catch that because Buddy just looked absolutely brilliant. 31 years old. He, he's just never going to get, you know, key forwards, we assume that they'll drop. We'll assume players like Buddy who rely on their athleticism will just, you know, as they get older, they just won't be able to perform. But eight goals, he was unstoppable. And look, he'll probably win the Coleman again at this rate. Yeah, he looked great. Um, looked a bit leaner and fitter than he did last season. So look to see him improve on a season that ended up seeing him win the Coleman medal. Um, and yeah, 21 touches, 9 marks, 4 tackles, 8 goals, and he's putting himself on track to finish as the greatest of all time when we're talking about specifically key position forwards. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, while we're talking about goals, Parker's bicycle kick, we might have seen goal of the year already. It's round one. Yeah, Parker looks prime for a big year, and yeah, freakish goal. Um, to put that one over the head. It's sort of Jeremy Cameron's attempted that a few times, never really got onto it um, to put it through the big sticks, but yeah, Parker showed him how it's done. Another thing from this game is just that Eagles gave a good fight against the Swans. Everyone's really high on the Swans and dropping on the Eagles, and they didn't look too bad. No, they didn't look too bad. I caught the second half of this game. Um, in my opinion, they got a bit of the hometown umpiring to sort of keep them in the game at the end there, but they definitely looked good, and there was definitely that point in the game where the Swans looked like they were going to run away with it, but Eagles definitely fought hard to, to stay in the game, and a big part of that was Nick Nanui, um coming back into the side, and he's just still a key for the Eagles, um, playing limited game time, but still able to impose himself on the contest and you know just sort of will himself to uh to win those important balls and you know have a shot i think he kicked an important goal or you know at least went close to it and yeah he's definitely a just a big key factor in whether the west coast eagles are going to have a good season or not yeah 12 touches one goal and 33 hit outs if you if you told me you know a month or two ago that nick nat would come in round one and get those stats you know as a west coast fan you'd be over the moon they're pretty good statistics for a ruckman. He's he's coming out and he's still getting 33 hitouts for the game. Um, he looked really impressive. From what we heard, was he was done. I heard that people came out and said he'll never get back to his best. He won't play good footy this year. He's he's close to being cooked. And people will say Jack Watts was the better pick in the end, but he came out and he played well. Yeah, played very well. So very limited game time. He was coming on for five minutes and then spending five minutes on the bench. Coming on for five minutes, spending five minutes on the bench, and then. As the second half came in and uh, the Eagles found themselves down, they sort of left him on there for a bit longer and, and got him to work into it. But as you mentioned, he looked very impressive. Good stats, even for a full game, to be honest. But he's done that off probably about 60 to 70% game time in the end. So very impressive for, for Nick Nat. For people playing the Supercoach, if you're in a draft league, I'd be happy to go for him. But I wouldn't be touching him in your, in your Classic just because I'm not so sure that he won't need rests here and there. And if you're going to be missing Ruckman for a week where we don't have a lot of cover on the bench, I think it's a bit of a risky move. Um, I'd, I'd love to see him back to his best and pumping out big scores every week, but um, it's a wait and see for me. It's just one game, and uh, we know that he, he won't have the best fitness base, and um, I think that once Barty comes back, we might see a little bit of a Lysette main rock for a while. Yeah, I definitely agree. Not sure that Nick Nat's a, a great pick in the classic supercoach, but... Going back to Lance Franklin, he looks like he is a good pick in the in Classic Supercoach this season. I traded into my team at the last minute, and he's rewarded me with a big, I think it was a 175, 180 points. Yeah, one that I'm ruining missing. I, I sort of went the Heaney over him, and Heaney punched out a 105, and I expect Heaney to be top two or three uh, forwards come the end of the year. So I guess you can't rue that too badly, but looks like Buddy's going to be one to jump at the start of the year. His prize is going to re- be really on the rise and hard to get into your team come later in the year so those people that started with him will definitely be quite happy with the choice and he looks great um how did the rest of your team go week one super coach did you did you perform the way you liked i've had a bit of bad luck unfortunately week one of super coach patty Ryder gone down six weeks um so gonna have to pull the trigger on a trade there and 
One of my sort of point of differences didn't really pay off. Dane Zorko, as we mentioned before, getting well tagged out of the game by Kobe Stevens, only picked up about 30 points, so pretty disappointing. Team overall did pretty well, I think still finishing in the top 20%, but there's a few worries there for me. Yeah, um, I ended up going pretty well. I think I scored about a 2360 around there, sitting about 4,000th overall, but oh, my bench choices sucked. I had Kelly on my bench score a 118. I had Norton over Finlayson, and Norton scored a 25, and oh, had Tom Mitchell in the team, which is great, but didn't put the captain on him. I could have been looking at a really big score there, but yeah, the players are in the team at the moment. I think Tom Mitchell is the one that you have to make sure you have in there. He's a superstar, especially if you went with the no danger field path. We'll wrap up our round one talk now, Liam. Have you got a talking point of the week? Talking point of the week, I think, would be um, pretty much the dogs versus GWS factor, where the dogs looked so poor and GWS looked so good, and I'll need another week to see which one's really the case. I was hot on the dogs before the year, and um, now I can't be as, as hot. And um, what that means is one of the spots in my top eight that I had penciled in for the dogs is now open, and I see a lot of teams around that mark. Even my team, St Kilda, potentially will be licking their lips saying, here's a really good chance for me. Hawthorne as well around that mark and um, Essendon as well. I had around the same. There'll be a lot of teams who will be looking at that dog spot and being like, we're a better chance now than we were before. What about you? I do. I've got a talking point and I'm pretty fired up about this one. My talking point for the week is BT on live television picking on these esports folks. Don't know if you saw this. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with BT. He just puts his foot in his mouth all the time and just people need to just get over him. Absolute flog. Um, absolute flog for mine. So he's, he's got on live TV and um, Essendon is sponsoring this esports team. Esports being uh, online video games. Not something that I'm too well versed in. Don't really play them myself, but I do know it's a very big growth industry and uh a lot of money in that industry and and bt's got these blokes on on live tv and just having a go at them um sort of ripping into them quite a bit um as i mentioned i I don't really know a lot about esports or or video games in general but um comments on facebook have informed me that one of the blokes he was he was having a go at um standing on the left when he was having a go at them actually earned 1.5 million dollars last year playing in these leagues which is more than any afl player and and here's bt so he's obviously elite you know in in his in his own competition and, and here's bt you know having a go at him sort of just yeah, just just ripping into him on live TV and just I think terrible look for the game, terrible look for BT, and just really highlighting just what an absolute wanker he is. There are just so many things wrong with this situation. First of all, these are esports people who are affiliated to an AFL club, and he's ripping into people affiliated with an AFL club, which is not on. He's calling them out for the way they look and how they are. He was saying you guys don't look like you know you should be talked about about AFL because you don't look like you got the bodies for it. Um, all these things saying that. Uh, all I know about what you do is you press left and right, so he's demeaning their skills and what they do. It'd be the same as if an AFL player went overseas and someone's like, oh, you, you're not a real athlete, you're just like hurting people, so that's all you do. It's it's, it's pretty much the same thing. It's it's just really just unacceptable, and it's an, another BT putting his foot in his mouth. All right, we'll keep moving, and we'll run through some tips for next round. Uh, as we mentioned before, our model's gone 8 out of 9, and we've both gone 7 out of 9 for the first week, um, so looking to catch up some ground on the model this week. Uh, run through the model tips and it's it's gone with the favorites this week it's gone crows saints blues gws d's dons dogs swans cats as i said all the favorites um it differentiates with the bookies a little bit it says that it thinks the lines are the least chance to win whereas the bookies think the pies against gws are going to be up against it the most and it's expecting a really close game with swans and port adelaide whereas the bookies think it's going to be a closer game between the dogs and the eagles but overall the, the uh, model's looking to keep its lead by tipping all the favorites in this round yeah, I think with a with a round where the bookies, all of the uh, favourites, the the closest odds you get to each other are a dollar sixty. So the the favourites are are pretty heavily backed, and um, everyone sort of thinks that the favourites should win this week. So it's no no real surprise the model's gone with the favourites. And um, actually, I'm going with the exact same tips as the model had. I'm sticking pretty pretty solid this week with the favourites. I think they all look pretty good. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with that for the most part. I think. Uh, in ordinary circumstances, I'd probably lock in all the favourites as well, but I do want to differentiate our tips a little bit, so I'm going to pull one out, and I'm going to say that the Tigers will beat the Crows. Um, I think that could be a good tip. Obviously, it's over in South Australia, which should favour the Crows, but um, you know, obviously the Tigers getting that win last year. Perhaps a few mental scars for some of the Crows boys, and I think they're a decent chance, so I'll lock in the same tips, but change that first game to Tigers. Yeah, not a bad tip. We've seen the Tigers in good form, as you said. They've got history on beating this team, and... Um... We don't know who's going to play for Adelaide yet. We don't know if the Lynches and the, the Tex Walkers will be back in this team. We know players like Brad Crouch won't be, so it's 
pretty interesting tip um, for everyone following the uh, statistical algorithm at home. Um, for this round, we, we, we've st stuck with uh, previous year statistics and current year age bracket and game statistics to figure out who's going to win this week. We've looked at figuring the uh, 2018 data from round one into the into the um, factors so far, but it's, it's probably a little early where we don't have enough data to really really be sure that those stats are, are meaningful yet. Um, we've run a few quick numbers on the stats from round one. Um, so far, what looks like it might be favourable and what isn't so far? Some pretty unsurprising correlations in round one. Um, the big one that's it's coming out the most is marks inside 50. Uh, obviously, this is you know, pretty obvious. If you're taking marks inside 50, you're getting shots on goal, but it is uh, interesting to differentiate between just a simple inside 50s count, which isn't really a good predictor. And then when you're looking at marks inside 50, that's really what's important. So sort of highlights that good ball use that's really key. Um, you know, just vomiting it in. Uh, we mentioned Adam Trelaw before getting his mark, uh, sorry, getting his kick swept up by Sicily. So if you're bombing it in, that's not really a good result. If you're actually picking out targets, um, that's where you want to be going. Um, a few other weak correlations, things like disposals and contest possessions, obviously coming out as relatively important. But one interesting one that is coming out as not important at all is hitouts. Uh, so hitouts are actually inversely correlated in round one with a win. So generally, the team that is losing the hitouts is still managing to get the ball forward and inside the inside fifties and, and winning the game. Yeah, very interesting stat. Obviously, it's thrown out a bit from the round one factors like Ryder went down hurt and Port would still win that game even though they've got you know lesser lights in the ruck. So obviously thrown it a bit, but it might, it might be a sign of the times that we see a lot of uh, coaches saying rucks aren't important, we don't need to play a ruckman, we don't need to win the hitouts. It's, it's not really important to whether or not we win the game, and that's sort of what the model's saying so far. Yeah, it's something we've been hearing for a while now. I can remember Grant Thomas back in... What oh two oh three oh four saying that Ruckman is an absolute obsolete position. Sorry, and uh, yeah, I mean obviously there's if you look at grand final sides, there's often relatively weak rucks there. So perhaps it is better spent to have your money uh, in other um, areas of the ground. But that said, you know if you're offering me a, a run of the mill ruck or Max Gorn, I'm taking Max Gorn every day. So I think there's still a place for them in the modern game. But they definitely need to be able to do more than just your hitouts. They need to be able to get around the ground, pick up some touches, take marks, and obviously kick goals. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. When you get a ruckman that can play all over the ground like a Gorn, then that's super important. Um, just what we're going to see from now on is no one is going to take a ruck high in the draft. They're all going to let them develop and come from later picks. So that's just how it's going to be going forward. And sort of that's just an interesting stat to come out of the algorithm. But yeah, as I said, for this for this week, we're going to stick with the same stats that we had last week to predict it. And uh, there's no reason to change an algorithm that's taken a, a tip an eight out of nine. So it's going well so far, Bill. Yeah, that's it. Um, it's one tip up on us. And obviously we're well, you've gone the same tip, so you're not going to catch up. And I'm looking to obviously even up the score this round or perhaps fall even further behind. Yeah, so a, a great result so far from the algorithm. I'll be following these games really closely to see, as you mentioned before, um, our algorithm said that a couple of games will be further apart or closer than the bookies said. So just to be keeping tabs on how the how the model's working, I'll be watching those two games that you highlighted earlier to see how it compares to other methods of picking your tips, such as the favorites with the bookies. All right, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for joining us on the Science of Footy podcast. And obviously, we'll be back next week with a few more tips, some more talk about round two once that's in the books, and hopefully some more predictions for the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs>